Jane Ivey dropped a new career high in points against the Milwaukee Bucks and what I think might have been his best game as an NBA player. We're going to talk about why he had such a good game, what's been so impressive about Jane Ivey in today's episode of the Locked On Pistons podcast. You are Locked On Pistons, your daily Detroit Pistons podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's the deal? Welcome back to another episode of the Locked On Pistons podcast. Per usual, I'm your host, Kuka Hill. You can find me over on Twitter, at Kuka Hill. I want to thank you guys for making Locked On Pistons your first listen of every single day. We are free and available on all your podcast platforms. And if you haven't already, head to the YouTube channel, at Locked On Pistons. Hit that subscribe button or leave us a five-star review on whatever podcast platform you're listening to this on. That's another great way to support the podcast. I'm recording this right after the Pistons lost to the Milwaukee Bucks. They played the Bucks without Giannis Antetokounmpo. Despite that, the Pistons played a close game, played a really nice game, you want to be honest, against the Milwaukee Bucks. If they could rebound the basketball, they might have won this game. Rebounding was really where they got destroyed against the Bucks here. But they couldn't get a defensive rebound for their lives when they needed it. It was, it was killing them. Um, but within this game, you got some really, really bright spots from Jay and Ivy and Jalen Duran. You saw a few other guys play really well. I'm going to talk about them a little bit later. But to start off the podcast, we're going to be talking about Jay and Ivy and Jalen Duran. And Jay and Ivy, he had 32 points, eight assists, eight rebounds, damn near a triple-double. He got to the free throw line 12 times, hit 11 of those free throws, which is great to see because he's shooting mid-70s on the season. So it's great to see him get to the free throw line and make the uh, free throws. He made three of his six three-point attempts and shot nine of 19 from the floor. What was so impressive about Jane Ivey's performance is I, I think he played an okay first half, but the third quarter was easily by far the best quarter I've ever seen him play. And just because of how well he played in that third quarter, I'm willing to call this the best game of his career. He was incomplete. He was just controlling the entire game. Greg Helser said on the broadcast, that the game had just slowed down for him. He was just in complete control of the game, and it was like he was seeing everything in slow motion. And it felt like that watching as well from our point of view. He was making right pass after right pass. He was running high pick and roll, which is, look, I've been asking for this all season. You guys know this. Uh, I've been saying it for a long time. But the Pistons on offense in the half-court setting, they ran high pick and roll with Jane Ivey and Jalen Dern almost every play down the floor for the entirety of the third quarter. Now, they might have got into it off of a three-man weave, off of a pin down, but either way, the play was to get a high pick and roll with Jane Ivey and Jalen Duran with somewhat of a spaced out floor. They were playing with Marvin Bagley on the floor. Marvin Bagley did a better job of cutting to the rim to try and make up for the fact that Brooke Lopez was kind of like just sagging off of him, which that helped some too. Um, but despite that, Jane Ivey was getting downhill consistently. There's not many dudes... Heck, I don't know if there is a dude in the NBA that can stop Jane Ivey from getting to the rim when he's driving the ball. When, when he really wants to get to the rim, I, I don't know who's, who can stop him in the NBA. And that that's where a lot of his free throws came in this game. You guys remember before the season, I told you guys coming into his rookie year, I thought he would draw so many fouls in the NBA simply because guys wouldn't be able to shuffle their feet enough or quick enough to stay in front of him, and he would just get bump fouls all the time. And he was getting bump foul after bump foul after bump foul because the dude is just way too quick and explosive off the dribble. I, he, he was incredibly impressive with that tonight. But you want to know what was even more impressive to me? 
the last game against the Toronto Raptors, Jane Ivey had nine turnovers in that game. We talked about why that was and how Toronto's length and physicality versus the lineup that the Pistons were playing was just a recipe for disaster. We talked about that in this game against the, the Bucks. He had four turnovers in this game to, to eight assists, so a two-to-one assist-to-turnover ratio. I thought that was a fine bounce back. And some of his passes that he was making when getting downhill, he had a few passes to Jalen Duran, And it wasn't just the pass itself that's, that's so impressive from Ivy. I feel like the, just making the pass to the roller isn't too hard, but especially when you're playing against a team in uh, – not in Brooklyn, but Milwaukee, who's in drop coverage a ton with Brooke Lopez – you have to engage that drop defender. And Brooke Lopez is probably the best drop defender in the entire NBA. If he's not the best, he's one of the top three, four best in the entire NBA. So you have to get downhill and you have to get him to respect you coming downhill to believe that you're going up for a shot to really engage him. Or if you don't, if you make that drop off to the roller, Brooke Lopez is just going to be sitting right there. He's going to be ready to swat whoever's rolling to the rim. You saw that happen to Wiseman on numerous occasions. Wiseman would get the ball going downhill, try to finish over Brooke Lopez, and Brooke Lopez would just send it out of, the, out of bounds because he's such a great drop defender. If your guards don't – your guards either have to get all the way to the rim and try to get a foul, they got to be great in the floater range, or they have to engage that drop defender enough to where they can drop it off to the roller and they actually have a pathway to finish in the basketball. And that's what he was doing routinely in that third quarter. Milwaukee's defense has been spectacular for years now. They, when they won the championship, it was spectacular. It's tough to score against them, against that drop coverage, because of their personnel and because of how great Brooke Lopez is. Some of the best guards in the league, some of the best ball handlers in the league really struggle at doing that, getting Brooke Lopez to engage with you on the drive so you can open up the drop-offs. And Jane Ivey was doing it over and over and over and over again in the third quarter. That right there is one of those tiny details that don't show up in the box score that not many people are watching for, but it's such a huge deal because if you're going to be a primary ball handler, you have to be able to read that kind of thing. And you have to be able to look for that kind of thing. And Ivy was doing a spectacular job, not just scoring. Obviously he was scoring the basketball. He dropped a new career high 32 points very efficiently, but the, the way he was able to manipulate Milwaukee's veteran defenders in the pick and roll and the high pick and roll throughout that third quarter was literally just, it was amazing to see. It was highlight after highlight after highlight. It was great. Jane Ivey's, his progression as, I don't even want to say just a playmaker, his progression in in like the, in the in-between game. Remember, coming into the year, that was his biggest concern. And at the beginning of the year, he was really, really bad at it. But seriously, his progression with what to do once he gets past the three-point line before the rim the progression he's made is crazy, man. Versus where he was before at the beginning of the year versus where he is now. There's no way in living hell that if you told me before the season or after the first five games of the year, 10 games of the year, 15 games of the year, that Jane Ivey would be running pick and rolls against Milwaukee's defense with Brooke Lopez in a drop, and he would be consistently engaging him to a point where he would then make the right read out of it consistently. If you told me that, I would have laughed in your face. There's no way. There's no way anyone could have seen that coming for him in his rookie season. And he's already he, he flashed that in this game. He's flashed his playmaking improvements. He's flashed his mid-range shooting improvements. He's flashed the, by the way, you have to give a ton of credit to Alec Burks for this because not only him, but the other guards on the team have tried to do this too. But his foul drawing on drives have improved. And it's a ton of credit to Alec Burks because they've really seen how he does it and they do it just like him now at this point in the season. So he was a great vet for this team. 
But Jane Ivy, man, just his progression and his improvement throughout the year, it's it's crazy, man. I I don't know if I've ever seen like such such stark improvement through a rookie season in such critical areas like Ivy has. This isn't just like catching shooting threes. Oh, he's hitting more threes now. Like these are tiny details that every guard, if you're going to be a primary ball handler or at least a secondary ball handler, you have to be able to do. And it takes a long time for these guys to develop this. I, I don't know how else to really put an emphasis on how important this is and how long it usually takes guys to really improve in that area when they struggle with it. So the fact that he has already through just a few months in his rookie season says the sky is the limit for this dude. The sky is the limit. It shows that he's a quick learner. He is learning. He wants to learn and he wants to improve. And Pistons fans everywhere should be feeling really, really good about Jane Ivey, man. He's, he's really damn good. Whether he makes it all rookie first team or not, that dude's going to be one of the best rookies from his draft class. It's he's, he's hella impressive, man. Hella impressive. But let me know what you guys think about his game tonight against Milwaukee. Tell me if you guys noticed what I've talked about with him engaging Brooke Lopez in that drop coverage routinely in that third quarter. Let me know that in the comment section down below or over on Twitter at Kuka Hill. Coming up, we'll talk about his fellow rookie, Jalen Duran, who also had a fantastic game against the Milwaukee Bucks. We'll talk about that when we come back. But first, I got to tell you guys about one of our sponsors, FanDuel Sportsbook. The tournament is heating up, and there's no better place to get in on the action than FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. That's because right now, FanDuel is giving new customers a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's $1,000 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Just go to FanDuel.com slash on to sign up today to claim your no-sweat first bet. Then you can wager on everything from the money line to point spreads to which team will be cutting down the net. All on an app that's safe, secure, and super easy to use. So don't miss your shot at No Sweat First Bet to up to $1,000 when you join FanDuel today. Just go to FanDuel.com slash locked on to sign up today. Again, you can use your No Sweat First Bet up to $1,000 when you join FanDuel today. Just head to FanDuel.com slash locked on to sign up. Make every moment more with FanDuel Sportsbook. So I want to thank you guys again for making Locked On Pistons your first listen of every single day. We are free and available on all your podcast platforms. If you haven't already, head to the YouTube channel at Locked On Pistons. Hit that subscribe button or leave us a five-star review on whatever podcast platform you're listening to this on. That's another great way to support the podcast. In a game that's like mean, basically meaningless for the Pistons, man, I'm, I'm sure that a lot of interest from fans in watching the Pistons have dropped off. Trust me, I see it. Um, it's in in a meaningless stretch of the season at the end of the year where everyone's just trying to get to the end. Everyone's just trying to get to the end of the season. That's all that's happening. It was really good to see. And it's really fun for a lot of fans to see the Pistons, two rookies play this well against a team like Milwaukee. This isn't playing this well against Houston or playing this well against Charlotte or San Antonio. This is against Milwaukee, a team that won the championship just a few years ago that it may win a championship this year might be the favorites to come out the East. Now, I know they didn't have Giannis, but they still have a great team outside of that. They had four guys scoring 20-plus points. By the way, Javon Carter had six threes and hit and scored 22 points in this game. It did not feel like that at all. I, I looked at the box score after. I'm like, damn, this dude had 22 points? Like, I, I don't remember shooting that much to even get that many points. So, I'd, that, he had one of the most quiet 22 points I've ever witnessed in my life. But Jalen Duren is the other rookie. We talked about Jay and Ivy, but Jalen Duren's the other rookie who just played so just so well in this game. He had 18 points, 10 rebounds, six offensive rebounds, eight of 11 from the floor. And again, 
something that we're going to continue to highlight on the floor and what or on the podcast, which is what makes Jalen Duran such an incredibly intriguing prospect. His passing, he had three assists in this game. Not he didn't have seven, ten assists or anything, but those three assists, man, I'm telling you, if you watch this game and you watch Jalen Duran throughout this season, he is he has the potential to be such a fantastic passer, dude. And not just like from the high post area. He makes really nice passes off of offensive rebounds. There was an offensive rebound he had in the third quarter. He, first of all, the way he was able to get this offensive rebound, there was like four guys surrounding him. He was able to get this offensive rebound. But he caught the offensive rebound with like four bucks around him. And most guys, when they get the offensive rebound, especially big guys, they go right up with the shot. They go right up. They want their, you know, they work for the board. Now they're going to work for their shot. They deserve it, et cetera, et cetera. That's usually what they do. But Marvin Bagley came from the, the right corner, sprinted down, and Jalen Duren saw him pump fake and whipped a nice pass to Marvin Bagley under the rim. Really impressive pass to Marvin Bagley. Marvin Bagley got easy layup uh, right around the rim. And then, of course, you had the Jalen Duren backdoor cuts that he was hitting. This dude, look, man, I know people, when you say improvements from a big guy, the first thing people's minds go to is, okay, we need to see improved footwork. We need to see improved like post game. We want to see you improve in your shot. Wants you to show us that you have the ability to shoot jumpers, like all that kind of stuff. That's usually where most fans' minds go to. I'm telling you guys right now, Jalen Duran doesn't need all that to reach like all-star levels, to be an amazing big man, to be one of the best big men in the league. He doesn't need it. I'm telling you, he doesn't. He can literally just be the like a like a a hybrid of a mixture of Dwight Howard and Bam Adebayo. And he would he doesn't even need to do any of the stuff I just mentioned. Now, would you like him to improve some post work? Yes, I think you've even already seen him improve some in the post game. Would you like to see him improve with his footwork down there? I think you've already seen that happen too. But yeah, you'd like to see that. But where Jalen Duran will make his money and where he will separate himself from the rest of the bigs is one of the more unique bigs in the NBA is if he's able to improve as a defender, become a legitimate plus on that side, a scary rim protector. If he's able to become that, that's the biggest hurdle for him. But defensively, if he's able to do that, all he needs to do offensively, he already has the tools for it. Set hard screens, be an amazing lob threat, which he is. He had one lob from Killian Hayes on a fast break. I thought he was going to just, I thought he was about to send Brooke Lopez to the shadow realm. Now, Brooke Lopez fouled him and he missed the dunk. But he the way he got up, how high he got up, and the way he tried to slam it with force, like he was going to break the backboard. That dude's an insane lob threat. So just set hard screens, being a great lob threat, finish everything around the basket, improve as a free throw shooter, and then be an amazing passer to the point where the Pistons, if you guys have been watching the Pistons long enough, you'll remember during, I believe, the 2017-18 season, the Pistons were running Andre Drummond at the hub. And, and when you say that, it means you ran the offense through Andre at the high post because he was a, a – Eh, my goodness, mouthful of words. Capable of hitting backdoor cuts from the high post. He was able to run dribble handoffs because he was such a great dribble handoff screener, and he knew how to screen and pass at the same at the same time in the dribble handoffs. I know that sounds easy, but trust me, it isn't. If you've watched the Pistons all this year, you see it's not something every big can do for sure. Um, but if he's able to do that, you'll start looking at him in like Bam Adebayo type of ways on, on offense. You can run stuff through him. You can run... Uh, in you can you can run dribble handoffs. You can run all kinds of action, for, uh, all kinds of action with Jalen Duran at the high post because he's capable of hitting backdoor passes. He's capable of throwing lobs. We've seen him throw lobs to other big men, other cutters uh, over the last few weeks. He's such a unique big guy. His potential is through the roof. 
and that's not even talking about the fact that he he could improve in post game, that he could become like a mid range shooter, that all these other stuff. But he could just with the raw tools that he has, if he just improved on that, he'd become an all star center every single year by far. All star center, he'd shoot like sixty five percent from the floor. He'd finish almost everything he shoots. He'd be one of the better defenders in the NBA, along with being able to pass and create for his teammates. He'd he'd be he'd be one of the best bigs in the league, and he has that type of potential. He's 19 years old. I've said this over and over on the podcast, man, but I'm going to say it again. I don't think fans truly understand how far away we are from these guys' primes. And forget the other young guys, but just let's say Jalen Duran. We are legit probably like eight to nine years away from his prime. Eight to nine years away, close to a decade away from his prime. At that point, he'll be 27, 28. We're that far away. So we already see what he is now. Just imagine what he'll be at that point. And I know it's a long game. I know people don't want to think that far down the road. But, man, I'm telling you, the fact that he's that far away from what should be his prime just lets you know how high he can improve. The fact that he's already at this point, this is where his baseline is. And he has so many areas that he can still improve. He's such a unique player that you can craft him into being just like, I don't want to say a unicorn because he's not like some outside shooting threat, but he's he's a unique big man. He's unique, and he's uber athletic. He's crazy athletic. He can be – I don't want to put crazy expectations on him because that's how you, you set up dudes for, to fail. But, like, man, eight to nine years from now, I could see so many different avenues for him to become, like, a all-NBA type of center, dude. The Pistons are set up, man. Pistons are set up. Look, they've been losing a lot. This is one of the worst seasons in franchise history when it comes to a win-loss record uh, season. But – and I know some fans don't want to hear this. But with Cade, with Jane Ivey, and Jalen Duran, with those guys as your core, the Pistons have something, man. And all the other guys, who knows? Who cares? To be honest, everybody else on the roster, who cares? Who cares? If they end up on the roster moving forward as role players, great. You'd love to see it. If they end up off the team, who cares? Those three guys, plus this top pick that the Pistons will get in this upcoming draft, as long as they hit on that pick, the Pistons are set up, man. They're, the Pistons are going to have one of the more interesting and fun young cores in the entire NBA in, like, the next two to three years, man. It's, it, they're set up. They're set up. Weaver has to hit on this pick. Weaver has to put the right pieces around these guys. But individually, Cade, we know what he is. Jane Ivey, we talked about him the first time. We've talked about him all season, what he's done and his improvements we've already seen. And then also with Jalen Duran, that rim runner, that – Jane Ivey and Kate Cunningham that he's been asking for. We saw what Cade needed last year with Marvin Bagley at the All-Star break. They got a core, dog. They, they, they got some pieces. They got some pieces. This is going to be a fun team in a few years. It's going to be a while. It's going to take some time for them all to develop because they're all so young. But the core is nice, man, shiny. It's, they're all shining. And I can't wait to see who they add to it because the Pistons could potentially have a four-man core that's – pretty scary that, that's pretty damn scary that can match up with anybody if it's Wemby oh my goodness man don't don't even get me started man I oh my goodness I couldn't imagine Wemby with this but not even just Wemby heck even Scoot maybe they can make Scoot work but any of the wings if they are able to pick the right wing that has a high ceiling that gets there dude it, it's gonna be fun man I can't wait for it. I can't wait to see who they pick where they fall in the lottery but I'm happy that at the end of the season, what's been a tough stretch of games that Jane Ivey and Jalen Duren were able to show the fan base why they are so special and why fans should be, should be feeling really good 
about their three-man young core moving forward, man. Really damn good. Let me know in the comment section down below or over on Twitter at Kuka Hill how you guys feel about Jalen Duran and how he's played this season and his unique skill set that he has that no other big on this roster has. Let me know what you guys think about that. Again, in the comment section down below or over on Twitter at Kuka Hill. Coming up, we saw some things. There's, there's a little point I want to touch on with Marvin Bagley that I thought was interesting. I just want to throw it out there. Uh, we'll talk about what that is when we come back. But first, you guys got to hear from some of our sponsors. So I want to thank you guys again for making Lockdown Pistons your first listen of every single day. We are free and available on all your podcast platforms. If you haven't already, head to the YouTube channel at Lockdown Pistons. Hit that subscribe button or leave us a five-star review on whatever podcast platform you're listening to this on. That's another great way to support the podcast. Um, what I wanted to talk about with Marvin Bagley real quick is, and it's not going to be too long, but so look, Marvin Bagley can't shoot. He hasn't been able to shoot throughout his career. I don't, I'm not a believer in his ability to be able to shoot. He's not going to be able to, he hit one tonight, but he's, I don't, I think we have enough sample size to know that he's just not going to be a shooter for me. If you want to have some belief with that, go ahead. But I think there's enough sample size to say he's not, he's just not going to be a, a shooter. However, there's been an interesting development in his game since they've been forcing him at the four and I don't know. The, the tough thing about this is, is it's impressive, but I don't know how you can actually use it in a winning situation. And what I'm talking about is his ability to attack closeouts, attack off the dribble from outside, from like the three-point line, attack off the dribble, get all the way to the rim, finish and draw free throws. We've seen him do it a lot over the last like two weeks or so. Um, he did it a few times against Milwaukee tonight, had a couple really tough finishes around the rim on some dribble drives. And that's that's nice. That's really good to see. You like the fact you have a big that can do that. But the problem is, th- this is the problem. We talked about this on a podcast a few, like I think it was last week. If he can't shoot in a winning situation, guys are just going to be sagging off him like they usually do, and there's not closeouts for him to attack off of. Now, if he could shoot, that would be he would be an insanely viable offensive player. That's just it, it would be completely different for him. But because he can't shoot. I'm trying to figure it's tough to figure out how you can actually utilize that skill set in a winning manner uh, over time. And I think that's something that teams have struggled with trying to figure out for Bagley. I think even the Pistons have struggled to figure out how exactly they can unlock him for a winning environment because he's not a, a great rebounder and we know he's not a good defender. So it's like, like I said on a few podcasts ago, if you had like Brooke Lopez next to him who could space the floor out and then Bagley can be the guy who kind of dominates inside, then maybe you could make it work. But the piss, I don't think the Pistons are going to have that. And I don't know if you build your entire bench line, because if he's going to be coming off the bench. I don't know if you build your entire bench lineup to fit that kind of thing. I, I don't know if they do that. So I'm interested. Basically, I want to say that I'm just interested to see what they do with Bagley, because I think they found a skill set of his that's kind of been unlocked with this, but it's just, it's hard for me to see how exactly you can use that without him being able to shoot because guys aren't going to be closing out to him. He's not going to be able to, to attack closeouts like that. Right now, he's just attacking guys who are sagging off and drawing fouls and still being able to finish around the rim, which is good for him to see, but it's not a sustainable offense for a team offense, which is why his numbers when they're on the floor, when he's on the floor with another big, why it's been so bad because it's not sustainable offense. You can't do that every single time. So I'm interested to see what they do with Bagley and how they how they 
how they build this roster next season, if Bagley's a part of it, where they slot him in in the rotation, if he's a part of the rotation. I, I'm really interested to see that because you have discovered a, a nice skill set that he's he's shown over the last few weeks. Um, but outside of that, only other takeaways I have from this Milwaukee Bucks game is I've, James Wiseman starting to struggle a little bit over the last few games. We'll continue to watch that. Isaiah Livers. So one of the things about Isaiah Livers I've noticed, he's not a good enough rebounder to play him at the power forward position, I think. There's too many times over the last few weeks. Now, I love Isaiah Livers still. I think he's really good. I think he can be really good. But I just don't think that he's a good enough rebounder at this point to be a four. Because there's too many times I've seen now over the last few weeks where he's boxing out a guy, but it doesn't matter because he's just not strong enough or small enough or athletic enough to really keep the guy that he has boxed out from getting the offensive rebound still. So that's one of my takeaways I've seen with Isaiah Livers. Um, He had a nice game, nine points, six rebounds plus eight on the floor, highest on the piss. Actually, no, second highest on the Pistons to Jalen Duran. Played really good defense. Um, so I like he played a fine game. It's just that at the four position, I know a lot of us have been saying we'd like to see him at the four. I think this last two weeks have kind of shown that I, I don't have a, a ton of trust with him at the four because of, because of his rebounding, unless their center is just otherworldly rebounding-wise. I don't think they have that. Um, but that's another takeaway I have from this game. And then the last takeaway I have is Killian Hayes, he had 14 points and five assists, but he shot six of 17 from the floor. Some of his, I'd say the majority of his misses were misses that you, you like, like he likes those shots. Coaching staff likes these shots. He was getting to his mid range. He was just missing some of them. A lot of them were open shots. He was missing those. However, there's also about, I'd say of those 17 shots, probably about four or five of them that are just not shots that he should be taking. Two of them were shot clock bombs that I really, he really needs to be, if he's going to be given shot clock bombs, they need to be him trying to drive to the rim and just try to pick up a foul. The the the, the forcing of the threes at the end of the shot clock, it hurts his efficiency, and it's not good shots. He's not going to hit them. Those are shots he needs to turn into just drive to the basket. And if he misses the drive to the basket, at least you have a chance of being fouled on those. And then there was a few times in the second half I felt like he was forcing some shots too. That So I, I think a lot of the shots he took are shots you live with. He was getting to his spots. Even Greg Kelser said these are shots that – you live with him taking because these are shots he likes taking. He's been hitting them. But there are, I think one of the biggest issues Killian deals with is the fact that he takes shots he probably shouldn't. And that would help his efficiency a ton if he just didn't take some of the shots that he takes. Like the coaching staff needs to sit down with them, let them know. Some of these shots that he's taking, he needs to stop taking them or at least turn them into drives to the rim where he's trying to at least draw the foul. He drew five free throws tonight. He was drawing free th- uh, fouls. So turn those sidestep threes at the end of the shot clock, turn them into drives, man, because those are bad shots and it hurts the team. So that, that's my takeaway from Killian Hayes' game. I thought he played a fine game outside of that. He was minus one on the night. Um, a lot of the shots, like I said, I'm cool with him taking. He, he'll hit those. But there's about four or five of those shots that were just tough, and he, he can't be taking those. those. Those ones hurt a team, and it hurts his efficiency really, really bad. He can't be taking those. It's bad. But – that's my final takeaways from this game against the Bucks. Let me know what you guys think about the podcast and the game today or last night when you guys listened to this in the comment section down below or over on Twitter at Cooper Hill. Thank you guys for making Lockdown Pistons your first listen of every single day. We're free and available on your podcast platforms. Leave a five-star review on whatever podcast platform you're listening to. Hit that subscribe button on the YouTube channel. And until next time, I'll see you guys later. Stay safe. Go Pistons. And peace out.